0: Our text today is Matthew chapter 6, verses 11 to 13. It's a portion of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, We've been working through, or I've been working through, uh, the Lord's Prayer, and and Kelly has been preaching through the book of James. So you've got me today. And um, we're looking at the second half of the petitions, or the requests, that the Lord taught the disciples to pray. The, what, what sort of things ought we to pray for? Now we saw two weeks ago that the first three petitions teach us to put God in his rightful place, to seek his honor and his rule and his will first before everything else. You know, We really do trivialize prayer when we make it all about our needs and our desires. And that's all that comes out of our mouths when we, when we pray as if we were more important than the true and living God. But on the other hand, it's a foolish kind of piety that only prays for quote unquote spiritual things, right? We just, I'm just all about God and his kingdom and his glory. And, uh, never ask God for things like safe travels or nice weather at the church picnic. Nothing wrong with those things, right? And they can be uh, for God's glory, as in all things. Whether you eat or drink, Paul said, let it be to the glory of God, right? So we need to guard against that kind of thinking. Our God is a gracious Father as well as a glorious King. I mean, as David put it in the 23rd Psalm, he's a God who takes close watch over his sheep. He takes care of our needs. He leads us and protects us. Provides. He even prepares banquets for his people in the midst of enemies. So when the Lord teaches us to pray, it shouldn't be surprising to find The last three petitions are all about asking God to provide for our needs. We do this under the umbrella of his glory. Indeed, that's true. For the honor of his name. That he would care for and provide for the good of his people. So. If you've not already turned there to Matthew 6, we're going to be in verses 11 to 13. And here the Lord gives us in in summary form our three greatest daily needs. If you want to know what we what, what do we ultimately need? Here's a good place to to start. It covers our whole life in all its aspects summary of what you and I need is these three things, daily necessities for our bodies, forgiveness from our sins and protection and deliverance from sin. And there's a lot under each of these, these headings. So let's look at the first request. Give us this day our daily, Bread. Give us this day our daily bread. In this first request, we're taught to ask God to give us what we need to live. Bread is a stand in for all the things you need in life. Because without bread, which is the most basic necessity in terms of food, we can't survive. This is saying bread is life. That's what Jesus is getting at here. Those things that we cannot live without. Food to eat was very much on the minds of Jesus' disciples. There's one passage in Scripture, I didn't look it up, where they're, they're wondering, and we, we don't have any bread to eat, right? And this is just after... God had, Jesus had provided food for thousands. And so this is a con- ongoing need in our lives. But during that day, um, laborers were paid daily for their work. Okay? If you work, work a day, you get that day's wage at the end of the day. And that would be enough to cover the basic necessities you needed, hopefully, and maybe enough to save up for taxes that come along and the Romans would come. And, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, I think in our culture, we don't feel the need for bread so keenly. I understand everyone's situation is different. I think we all know what it's like to have needs and and uh, need God to to meet those needs. Uh, But whether we feel it or not, we might think I'm relatively well off, I'm doing okay. You know, I work hard, I provide, I'm doing good. Whether we feel that need for bread in in a desperate sort of sense, The truth is that we are all dependent on God's favor for the necessities of life. That's the teaching of Scripture. It it humbles us to to realize that no matter how hard we work, no matter how much we do, it's God who's the one who gives food to all flesh for his steadfast love endures forever. Psalm 136, verse 25. So it's... Good. It's important to ask him to care for our needs, to look to him to be the one who provides and to be thankful for how gracious he's been. To to be thankful for how he cares for us. Before moving on from this request, I want to take note of three applications that are drawn from this first petition. OK, to think about as we pray for our daily bread, because it's easy to kind of mindlessly say something like that or say, Lord, to provide for our needs or or um, at mealtimes. You know, thank you, Lord, for providing for us or taking care of us or giving us this bread to eat. Um it's three, three thoughts um, and applications as we think about this request. First, uh, it's we're asking for needs and not wants. Now, you've heard that before, but it's not whatever you want and think you need that you're asking for. We're asking for the things we actually need. Okay. As Matthew Henry put it in the 1600s, uh, we ask for bread, not dainties. Right. We're not asking for the delicacies at the king's table. Um, We're asking for. The things I need to live. I mean. Yeah. Um, Lost my thought there. So we aren't promised luxuries. We aren't promised our every want and. You know, there are those out there that are saying, you know, that's the sort of thing you should be asking for. You should be asking for the the brand new car. You know, you should be rich and 100% healthy. And uh, these people don't know what they're talking about. They don't know the word of God. You know what? God may indeed bless you with wealth and he may bless you with, Great health. Wonderful. Praise God. Praise God. But let's always remember that it's a gift. It's a blessing. Even if you worked hard for it. So let's use what God gives to honor him. Let's use it to honor him. And look to him to provide. The things that we need and not get so uh, proud that we think I don't really need God, which is one of the dangers of many possessions The scriptures warn up. But I have good news. I don't want to make this a big downer because I realize there are things we want and we ask. There's nothing prohibiting us asking. I want something. <clears throat> to have the heart. And the attitude that's willing to say, Lord, what you think I need. Is better than the things I think that I need. And regardless of how many figures we have in our bank accounts, God invites you and I to ask him for whatever you need for today. Okay, this prayer is a command. Do this. Pray in this way for these things. And so God expects his people to be coming to him. With our needs and to be expecting that he's going to indeed take care of us, whether that's uh, bread to eat or clothes to wear or whether what you need and desire is a godly spouse or peace with your neighbors or health for livestock or your own body, all these things. We should pray for and we should trust that God is indeed a gracious father. Who's able to provide for our needs, ask and it will be given to you, Jesus said in the very next chapter, Matthew seven. If You ask him, he will take care of those things that we truly need. If we serve him with what we have. We're not going to lack those things that we truly need. We could tell countless stories. We could sit around the tables and, and tell story after story of how God's provided for His His saints, His people. Um, you know, orphanages receiving bread and, and milk the very day that they've run out of all their food. Widows and orphans that Asked for bread, they had nothing to eat and no money to get it, and there the Lord provides. Uh, I haven't been that low on cash myself, but I can say that the Lord has taken care of Shanae and I. And um, those times that we are in need of something, God has been gracious to us. He's always taken care of us. So when you have a need, Take him at his word and take it to the Lord in prayer. That's what he's teaching us to do here. To come to him. To ask for what we need. Second application that we can draw from this to ask daily. Ask daily. or as other parables um, uh, make clear, like the the widow coming to the unjust judge and knocking on his door seeking justice. To be persistent in prayer would be another way to put it. Not just once, once in a while to cover our bases, but that that is our daily go-to. I am going to the Father to care for my needs. We're to pray for our daily bread. Our daily bread. Not our once in a while, when I run out, bread. The word here in the Greek, it's an unusual word. It seems to mean bread for today, which is how most translations take it. So day our daily bread is the, the um, traditional way of thinking of it. Um, another word, possibility is bread for tomorrow. So next day's bread. Um, either way, the general idea is that we must constantly depend on God. Uh, we don't grow up out of needing Him. In that sense, we're always, He's the Father and we're always His children. We don't ever uh, grow up out of that. We need Him day by day. We should ask him for what we need on a daily basis. So I do it. I would ask you, is that your habit to daily come to God in prayer? It's very easy. I'll admit for myself to uh, maybe we do pray our quick little prayers and that sort of thing. But do we really take the time and mean it and make a habit of coming to God, not just when we're in the most desperate need, but on the good days as well. Wherever you are at today, the Lord's teaching for for you and I is this, to pray, give us today our daily bread. Because he wants us to trust him. He wants us to come and ask him for the grace that we need each day. What is the third application that we might draw from, from this request? That is to pray for others beside yourself. Pray for others beside yourself. It says, give us our daily bread, doesn't it? And it says um, in the next request, forgive us and lead us not into temptation. Right. All of these requests may be prayed, not just for me, but for others. Right. Others that we know and love the the people that um, that we know don't like us. We don't get along with them. Jesus said, pray for your enemies. What can you pray for them? Pray God takes care of their needs. And maybe seek to meet one of them if you know one. You know, pray for for their forgiveness. It's one of the prayers we pray most often for those that we we love. We pray that they would come to know Christ and his forgiveness. We pray that, that God would lead them not into temptation, but he would deliver them. From, from evil, from de- the deceit of the devil, the snare of the devil, the way of this world. So it's good to pray for others beside ourselves. To mark out time to do that, right? I find that it is important. To, to mark out those times as well, because what does have often happen is our needs and our uh, troubles kind of come up and they cloud that out, right? They'll take our time in prayer. And it's, it's fair, it's understandable that my needs would be on my mind. But it is good to uh, look beyond ourselves and, and seek uh, for God to be gracious to others Also, so these are thoughts that we can keep in mind as we pray. Am I asking for the things that I truly need? Am I coming to God uh, daily, regularly, Uh, like the hymn we sang this morning? I need thee every hour. Is that the sort of thought that's on our mind every hour, or is it on our mind on Sundays when we sing the hymn? And to be praying for others beside ourselves. Well, now we come to the second request for forgiveness. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I I realize that... um, Well, you've probably memorized in different translations. Some say trespasses and some say debts. Some say sins. Well, um, the word here is debts. Okay. We'll talk about why in just a minute. But and what that means. But I just want to say on the outset that um, this is a really important prayer to remember. Because without this spiritual grace from God, all the bread in the world is useless. All the physical and, and mental and emotional needs you have met, you know, in this life are nothing compared to forgiveness with God. So, where there is forgiveness, there is peace with God. And where there is peace with God, there is no death. And the wrath of God is not upon those who are forgiven. There's no condemnation there. So this is a vital prayer for us to pray. Jesus refers to our sins here as debts that need to be forgiven by a holy God. We know that Jesus is referring to sins, that is offenses against God's law, that's where the word trespasses comes in that many use. We know that Jesus is referring to sin uh, when he talks about debts because he uses the word for sin in Luke's gospel. Okay, The word hamartias, the Greek word for sins, is in Luke's account of the Lord's prayer. So forgive us our sins, it says. In Luke's gospel, as we have, we forgive those who are indebted to us. Luke uses the terms interchangeably. And here, or Jesus does, on that occasion. So why, why does he use this language of debt? What does that teach us about our sins? Well, The debt language conveys the truth that our sin, our breaking God's law, our going my own way rather than God's way, incurs a debt that we owe God. We owe due payment for our sins. And that due payment, since the day that Adam sinned, And disobeyed God was this in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Death. Not only the death of our bodies, but separation from God to face His wrath is what we have earned. You could say that we owe God our breath back for our sins. Paul puts it this way in Romans 6.23. He says the wages of sin is death. That's an awful big debt to owe. And an awful payment to have to make to suffer in hell because we've chosen to rebel against God. And his ways and need forgiveness. And the only solution to our biggest problem. Comes in the next part of Romans 623. But the gift of God. Which is not something that can be earned. The gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's the answer. That's the hope that God gives that God provides for those who believe in Jesus Christ. The one hope for the sinner. And so uh, we need forgiveness. We need that debt to be not counted against us. Sweeping it under the rug. Acting as if you know, it's not really there isn't going to help us. We need the cleansing of Jesus Christ. Who was a a once for all sacrifice to pay the debt that we owe to God. There's no other way. And that crushing weight of the debt that you and I owe is impossible. It's impossible for you to pay. So what do we do? Well, the Philippian jailer asked the Lord Jesus, or asked the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Trust what he has done. Trust in his person and what he did on that cross, and he explained afterwards uh, what Jesus did that he would believe in. And there's salvation. To believe in Jesus means that we have to agree with God about our sin. That's what confession and repentance is. We're saying, I am guilty. It's to name our sins as sin, not to give them a, a free pass or to try to, you know, uh, get around God's God's law and say, well, that's not really... Sin, we do that with, we excuse. I know it's to say, yes, I am 100% guilty. To trust in Christ that that he canceled. Paul wrote in the letter to the Colossians, the debt. The record of debt that stood against us at the cross so that it was paid in full. And he has trampled the powers of darkness. And if that is your hope and your prayer, then praise God, you're forgiven. That's our only hope. And in following Christ, and I would invite you If that's not something you've done or you're not sure, please come talk to myself after as I would be happy to talk with you further about the gospel. What it is to to know this forgiveness that's offered freely in Christ. And in following Christ, our daily prayer should be Lord, forgive us. Don't hold this debt against us. And when we as disciples of Jesus pray, forgive us, we're trusting in his blood that is indeed sufficient to cleanse us from our every sin. For though justified, though declared righteous completely by faith in Christ, that work is done, it's finished. We're not free of all sin in this life. And the Lord teaches us to come to Him humbly and and to receive that gift of of forgiveness of, of a clean conscience before God. The Apostle John put it this way to the believers that he was writing to in 1 John Chapter one, verse eight, he warns, if we say we have no sin, speaking to Christians, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. We deceive ourselves when we say. I'm sinless, I don't really need to repent, I don't need to confess my sins as a Christian. No, you do. Not to. Save ourselves as though it's some sort of work we add on to the work of Jesus. But because if we're saying I'm already perfect in this life, we are saying. Something that God does not say and the truth is not in us. We continue to need. The work of Christ, who is an advocate on our behalf. And that's what the Apostle Paul goes on to say in first John 2, verse 2. So verse to, to memorize. If we do sin, we have an advocate, a, a legal counsel with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is able to say, Yes, I paid for that, that man or that woman's sin in full. And that's your hope. Not that you can say, I'm a perfectly holy, just and righteous man today in and of myself. Your hope is Jesus paid that. And I can come to God when I fall. And when I fall horribly, and trust in the work of Jesus. Until glory, we are confessing people, asking God as Christ taught us to forgive our sins, and we are also a forgiving people. There's an important clarification here when we look at the request, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven our debtors or as we have forgiven those who sinned against us. I want to be clear. This is not the ground of our being forgiven. You do not come to God. We don't come to God in prayer and say, see, look because i forgave that awful person now you need to forgive me we don't demand like that we don't have the right to do that it's not as if jesus is saying you know what if you forgive then then i'll forgive you i'll give you a free pass if you're nice to other people that's not how it works is a deceiving thought that we like to to think. So what is Jesus teaching us then? Jesus is teaching us to view forgiving others as the evidence one of the chief marks of God's grace at work in you. Okay? So if you can come to God you're saying I'm confessing my sin and you're coming without any forgiveness in your heart for other people who have wronged you, you don't understand the grace and forgiveness that you need. We're giving evidence that we have not had a heart transformed by the love of God. Because... Those who know what a great debt of sin we owe to God. You who know that Christ paid that price, He suffered the wrath of God for your sins. If we truly believe that, we're not going to be the people who turn around and say to somebody who hurts our feelings, yeah, I won't ever forgive you. To say something like that is to not understand the grace of God. There's a parable to that effect that Jesus gave about an unforgiving servant in in Matthew 18, verses 23 to 35. And it's worth reading because it reminds us The unforgiving heart is evidence that we don't believe in and understand the forgiveness of God. So it is a great, great warning in that sense for us as we pray to check our hearts for forgiveness. Not not as a As though, and here's the thing, if you recognize and come before God and say, I I have not been forgiving. What do you do? Confess that. And ask God for the grace. And if you have the the by the grace of God, the um, sight to see that unforgiveness and to seek help. There's forgiveness, Right. Even for that. I think there's also here. There is a encouragement and a confidence as we come to God, knowing I've messed up again, I have sinned, I deserve wrath. For the things that I've done, even as a Christian. And I know my only hope is Jesus Christ. And yet we can come. Knowing God has given us a heart that does desire. His forgiveness that does desire to forgive others. That is a good thing to be able to see an encouraging thing to be able to to recognize in our hearts. when We come before God. I'm not the same person I was. I now uh, hate the things I used to love. I now uh, I fail at loving people the way that I should, but my heart is changed towards that person. And we ask for more grace, trusting that Christ has indeed provided, for all our sins. The third request. And I'll try to go quickly here. I was torn between three sermons or one, and I went with one. So I apologize if that. A lot at once. The third request is lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And this last request, it's sometimes divided into two. And I understand why um, they're certainly tied together. They're not two totally different ideas. They're very much linked. We might summarize them as a prayer for protection from sin, protection from sin. The phrase, lead us not into temptation, implies a few things. Uh, The Greek word for temptation, perasmos, can also be translated trial, by the way. So what does this request mean? First, that God would keep us from facing trials beyond what we can handle. It's right and good to do that. There are things that are beyond our strength. And the Lord promises that he won't put us through something, allow us to face something we can't handle. So we're praying according to the will of God when we say, Lord, keep me from facing trials I can't handle. Lead us away from situations that might cause us to be tempted to sin. You know, I pray often for my kids that they won't have to face certain situations that I have uh, in my teenage years, which aren't that far away from me, Um, things that I did, situations I put myself in that I don't wish for them. And so it's right and good to pray that God would keep not just our kids, but all of us, from those kind of temptations. And to bless bless us with faith to trust him enough to to not go down certain paths, (coughs) but to be led towards godliness. I believe that's one aspect. Lord, keep us from and lead us away from these situations that are too much for us. And second, that we would not be left to the weakness of our our bodies, our flesh, and left to the schemes of the devil, but that God would give us the strength to withstand and walk through the the fire of various trials with faith, right? Right? Because we know that we will face various trials in this life so that we could walk through them and trust God and not enter into sin. That even if we must face the furnace like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego once literally did. uh, That like them, we would not entertain our sinful desires like the desire to not burn, and so to say something that would be untrue, to bow down before the cultural idols of today, you know. So when our neighbor says, uh, you know, well, we all believe basically the same things, you know. Do we let that go? Or do we stick our neck out and just very nicely say, I don't actually believe that, and I'd be happy to talk about it if you'd like to. But then we wouldn't entertain sin. Even as we walk through difficult situations that could very easily cause us to, to want to disobey God. That God would keep us and sanctify us through the trial. The prayer, deliver us from evil, completes that thought, right? Saying in the final outcome, God, whatever temptations we face, whatever I go through, deliver, please. Because we know there's no hope for us without God doing that. There's no salvation by me uh, pulling up my bootstraps and uh, getting out there and being a good guy and walking through life and facing these things that we're going to fail. So we need to pray that God would deliver us and protect us from evil. This is a, a petition that reminds us, don't ignore evil. Don't ignore it. Evil and sin is subtle. It's tempting. It resides in our human heart and our flesh that remains of us. Something you can't get away from. Can't ignore. We need deliverance from it through Jesus Christ. It's a reminder not to despair either. That's one thing we can do when when you begin to realize how sinful you are. We're drawn down to despair and there's a healthy despair because until we come to the end of ourselves. Where do we look? We still look to ourselves. But there are many and I was there for many years in, in my life of despair is all that, you know. All that, you know because you cannot save yourself. You cannot break free from that sin that that holds you so tightly. And this is a prayer that's not a prayer of despair. It's a prayer of deliver me, Lord have mercy on me, save me. It's a prayer of faith that God can. Christ is enough to deliver me from whatever this trial or temptation is. So reminder also not to go the other path, which is self-reliance, right? To truly pray, deliver, deliver, Lord, is to look to Christ, not to me. Okay? Okay. To recognize evil and ask help from the one who has gained the victory. His name is Jesus Christ. He's our only hope. Do you know why? Here's the gospel. He withstood the trial. And the full force of evil that we could not. He was tempted in every way like us yet without sin. And so he was obedient even to death on a cross. Out of love for his people, he suffered and he was strong. Though he was tempted, he did not enter into temptation. Didn't entertain sin. And through faith in Jesus, by the power of his spirit, we can have new strength to do what we cannot do in our flesh because of him. Because he is able to deliver us from this body of death. And so through faith in him, we're invited to come to the Father, to ask and receive these things that we need. Whether it is the necessities that we have for for life. Forgiveness from sins and the strength to keep from stumbling in sin. That, brothers and sisters, is really good news. So let's go to him. Oftentimes we're tempted to doubt. We minimize the goodness of God. He said in Matthew seven verse 11, if you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? How much more loving will he be if he sent his only son to die on the cross for your sins, to make you his child by grace? So let's remember his heart, his goodness towards those who believe in his son. And and that really is the question. Then do I trust him? Do you trust him? Enough to to pray these prayers. to, To look to him for that which we so desperately need. I want to close by reading the hope the writer of Hebrews spoke about in Hebrews chapter four, verses fourteen through sixteen. Let's take a moment and, and turn there. It's a good scripture to to meditate on as you turn there. Puritan Thomas Brooks, rightly, he got to the truth when he said this. He said, Christ went more willingly to the cross than we do to the throne of grace. We tend to want to figure it all out ourselves. We're not very willing to go to the throne of grace, but the gospel encourages us to go to God, to seek from Him, that which we cannot gain ourselves. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is incapable of sympathizing with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, because of him, let us confidently approach the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. If your faith is in Jesus, run, run with boldness to God, confidently come to him to find grace in your time of need. Let us bring our every need before him and put all our trust on Him, on Him alone.